This is the Gospel for Life, where we have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. Around the table today is Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Jonathan Van Hoogen from Dayspring United Reformed Church, Vinnie Hanke from Valley Life Community Church, and Ryan Hemphill from Treasure Valley Reformed Presbyterian Church. To catch earlier broadcasts, just search The Gospel for Life wherever you subscribe. To find out more about this ministry and about our annual conference, go to ReformationBoise.com. Welcome back to The Gospel for Life. We have been looking at just general questions, but some of the last couple days have been questions about continuity. And this always is an issue about how do we relate the Old Testament to the New Testament? How do we relate the Jewish people to Christians of today? And those of us in the room would say that there is more continuity than discontinuity. But by saying that, we, we all would say that though the foundations are the same in the Old Testament and New Testament, though the God is the same of the Old Testament and New Testament, though God's way of salvation is the same in the Old Testament and New Testament, there are some slight changes that occur. And we talked about the the shift in the day in which we worship yesterday, and today we're going to talk about all of us in the room would say that there are some slight shifts with regard to the sacraments. And what we mean by that is that God has given gifts to his church in the Old Testament and New Testament that point to the work of Jesus Christ. And what we would say is that in the Old Testament you had circumcision and Passover, and then the, in the New Testament those shift. and. And part of it is because both circumcision and Passover had involved the shedding of blood. And in the New Testament with the, with the book of Hebrews, we know that there is no longer a shedding of blood with regard to our religious practices because the blood of Jesus Christ was the final shedding of blood. Mm-hmm. And so now we need to have bloodless practices. And so circumcision, at least in the minds of those in this room, has become baptism. Mm -hmm. And the same foundations hold true. This is why those of us in the room still practice covenantal or infant baptism, because children were brought into the covenant community in the Old Testament in circumcision, and we see no shift in the teaching of the New Testament that would move us away from including children in the covenant community. We don't do it by circumcision anymore. We do it by water baptism. We also would say that there has been a shift from Passover, the shedding of the blood of a lamb, to New Testament communion or the Lord's Supper. And this is where you guys get to come in. So that was that was all the talking I need to do <laughs> yeah, for today. That was excellent. You covered yeah. it well. Because um, now I'm going to say for life. what is <laughs> – that shift. Why is there a shift I, between communion, or not why, but what is the shift from Passover well, I, I to communion? I do think that, first of all, we recognize that these were everlasting covenants. That means that they continue. And then the, because God made them everlasting, the only one that has the that can legitimately change those things is God himself. And Jesus abrogates, the, abrogates changes the, the practice. 
in those things. So we have a circumcision no longer made with hands. You know, it's it's baptism. So we at the Lord's at the Passover meal that he celebrates with his disciples in the upper room, the lamb that's on the table is himself. Mm-hmm. And and he abrogates that and he says this is my body and this is my blood. Mm-hmm. Uh, this do in remembrance of me. So that he 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 changes the everlast he changes abrogates the symbols of the everlasting covenant that he made. Yeah, I think that's a good point of you know the covenant it remains but the outward signs and seals he's he's changed and adjusted. And how are those different from Passover to the Lord's Supper? You've talked about some but just flesh some of that out. The the frequency Pun, the partly pre- intended yeah, with flesh that out. Okay, <laughs> the frequency the frequency would be one of the things that you know particularly, and the, actually in in each cir- instance, whether it was uh, you know we're talking circumcision or or Passover, there was an expansion. You know mm-hmm. because um, you know baptism includes not, not just males but females. You have uh, in the Lord's Supper, it's as often as you do this, not you shall come up here every year and celebrate mm-hmm. Passover. So there's a there's a frequency that the Lord encourages in the Lord's Supper so that we are constantly bringing these things to remembrance. Mm-hmm. Also with regard to how we celebrate, we in communion have bread and wine Mm-hmm. Um, there's going to be some disagreement about exactly what that bread should look fruit like. Fruit of the vine. Fruit of the vine, whether mm-hmm. grape juice is fine or whatever it might be. Those discussions will leave for another day and for other people. But you do have this discussion about what actually that bread and wine are representing. And so there has been – most people don't recognize that the true controversy during the Reformation time period was not over baptism. So not as much was said, not as much was written about baptism, um, because quite honestly, most people actually agreed mm-hmm. on right. baptism. The, the, the debate, the discussion, the arguments of baptism actually come later in church history. But the great controversy of the Reformation really mostly centered around the practice of the Lord's Supper. And 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 specifically how do we recognize the Lord's presence yes. in the in that supper? You know, yeah. so there were four major opinions at that time mm-hmm. period. Some of them remain to this day actually. The same four are today. So you've got the Catholic tradition which is transubstantiation. Am I? Can I throw yeah. these out? Yeah, sure. Yeah, okay. that, that yeah it, I was that, going to. So yeah. Yeah. go ahead. Go yeah. ahead, Ryan. No, I was. I, I was just the. I was just saying. I agree. Yeah, we we could talk about it. Yeah. But yeah, the Catholic one is that they believe that there is like a, 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 a change of substance that the bread and the wine actually become the body and the blood of Christ. Now they don't actually believe that they're eating the flesh or drinking the blood literally but that the presence of Christ has entered the bread and entered the wine so that even though they know that they're not chewing the actual flesh, flesh of Christ, right. they would say that the, the presence of Christ is in the substance. And the Lutherans change it slightly where they it's not in the substance, but it's like with, around, surrounding it. Yeah, and that's called consubstantiation. Right. And then I think Swingly. the view of most of us is – 
that we partake by faith, that Jesus is present there by faith. So the yeah. elements don't change, but by faith we feed upon Christ and we You were going to mention the uh, Zwingliand, Zwingliand. Pre- which would be just, this is just a mere memorial. memorial. And, remembrance. And, you know, they're just a, just a, mem- a remembrance. But uh, you know, Calvin, Calvin, I think, Calvin split all these differences and said, yeah. as as Ryan points out, you know, Christ is present. He's promised His presence. He's present by faith. His His body is still in heaven. You know, it, it doesn't leave heaven, <clears throat> but because His divine nature can be everywhere and is everywhere, He is there, present with us in uh, blessing that those benefits to us. He he makes the comment, Calvin makes the comment, it's not so much that Christ comes down into the elements, but that he raises us up into the heavenlies. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I actually think that's a, a, a healthier, more biblical view of what's taking place in communion. Not, not that the body or presence of Christ comes down as much as we get a taste of heaven, mm-hmm. um, that we enter into the heavenlies. But earlier, Jonathan had mentioned this whole debate about in addition to how you view what's taking place with the elements and the presence of Christ, there is this ongoing debate about frequency. Mm-hmm. And I think just a step back from church history would, would help us to say that this also this debate is actually not new, mm-hmm. that this debate has been going on for a long, long time. And, and I would say that different positions have ebbed and flowed um, in popularity. Um, so it used to be in certain traditions that you would have quarterly communion, and that became kind of this common practice. Sometimes, in, in, at least in Presbyterian circles, it was almost an annual event. Mm-hmm. There's debate on whether Calvin practiced weekly communion or not. So this debate about frequency is, has, has been around for a long time. In our circles, my guess is that frequency is all over the map. So there are some of us here that practice monthly communion, some practice weekly. Um, some of our circles practice every other month. Yep. Some do quarterly, some do biannually. So how, wh- where, how do we enter into that fray in a helpful way? Well, I think as we talk about like shifting from the Old Testament, which <laughs> Passover was had explicit timeline and framed, right? It was this week of, this, of, of the same year every mm-hmm. year. As we move into communion, as Christ celebrates the Passover with his disciples, honoring that that time frame, when he institutes communion, he says, as often as you do this, uh, or when you do this, depending on your translation, which allows some some freedom and, and some grace for interpreting frequency from the church. So it really comes down for me to, to a matter of careful, wise thinking, and then uh, the freedom to practice it according to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, when when... When Paul takes up his problem with the Corinthians in uh, in their practice of the Lord's Supper, you know you you have to realize it hasn't been years that have passed, right. and they're doing it frequently. Yes, mm-hmm. <laughs> and enough that they've set a pattern that he said this is wrong, and so frequency was it was already occurring. Uh, you know, in that you know in the early days of the the church. So uh, I think that we when we take up frequency, uh, that those are. Some of that's culturally conditioned. Yep. You know when, when you know those that practiced seasons. You know part of it was because they were under a, a civil government that said you couldn't practice mm-hmm. every every week, or so you there were only times that you could do it. You know when the 
you know, when the America was settled in the West, you know, they they recognized that the Lord's Supper was administered by a minister of the Word, and so they didn't have ministers, and so they would set aside a time, you know, and the and the minister would come and he would prepare the people so that they would be taking the sacrament in a worthy manner. Um, so it's it's. We talk about fencing the table in one sense. We the people that are invited to the table are those that are believers. It's not for everyone. So and I think I th- an important thing, like, is that we keep the Lord's Supper in its in its place. Because I think the temptation is whether you're observing weekly, you can tend to elevate it above just the ordinary worship service of God, or if you are. Uh, observing just a few times a year, you contend there's a temptation there to elevate it as a special time. And I think in either cases, we need to guard against that because it is just a, it's an ordinary means of grace. It's not a special means of grace. And however frequent your church does it, if you go to a church, they don't have the Lord's Supper, you can be confident you still worshiped God. It was still a worship service. You don't and, get uh, more of you, Christ at the Lord's Supper right. than you do under the preached word. Right. You might get him differently, right. but not more of. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I Be- think that's better, important. As, as uh, Sinclair Ferguson would say, you may get him better for yourself. Yeah. And so I think we just have to say, what's the proper frequency? Whatever's best for your church. Mm-hmm. And your church doesn't need to try to feel like it needs to dictate to another church or to another church. You you have that freedom and I think that's the the key and then use that freedom in a way that is the best for building up those that are part of of your congregation Mm -hmm. well you've been listening to the gospel life we'll see you next time